0: Welcome to The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Ken Lawrence, and me, Paul Johnson, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society.
1: We unpack our identity as white men by having honest, open, and sometimes difficult and uncomfortable conversations about being a white man. Where we come from, our place in today's society and roles to play moving forward as allies, leaders, and individuals who care about creating an equitable society for all.
0: All right, Paul, here we are in our sixth installment of working through our identity process. And this episode is the second half Of our gender component where we are exploring the man part in white man so in
1: starting that process last episode we touched on how gender roles even came about in the first place and how the idea of quote-unquote masculinity is rooted in the very early years of being hunter-gatherers for thousands of years and how men used those traits to take public positions of power and delegate or relegate i guess you could go either way women to the private space We then talked about women's fight for the right to vote and be autonomous citizens and how that intersected with race in both good and bad ways.
0: My biggest takeaway from last episode that I really cannot stop thinking about is the idea of womb envy and just how the more and more I think about womb envy, the more and more I can see that being a real thing. You know, I mentioned my experience personally with having a five month old daughter and how little of a role I really played in that whole process. And in the first few months of her being reared is really like, it's like, yeah, I could see that men, you know, were had this like, oh, well, you know, I'm important too. And and I do this and I provide for you all. And, you know, way back, you know, our number one instinct in evolution is to pass on our genes from one generation to another. And so to see, to feel like I play such a minimal part in that if I'm a man way back 10,000 years ago. And that's how it led to just this like engrossed importance. I'm like, wow, that, that it's just, it, it was like a big light bulb moment for me as to why men did this in the first place.
1: Yeah, that's the same for me too. That at first glance with womb envy, I'm like, I'm not envious at all. I mentioned too last episode that, you know, my partner is 10 months. 10 months? Where am I at? No, seven months pregnant. Seven months, seven months pregnant. And yeah, I feel like uh, just on the sidelines and a, a passive observer and I have zero control over anything of the process. Right. And so I can see how men to, to your point about like this being the pinnacle of evolution the reason why we're here is this, you know, this having this child and for me to be able to play no part in that, you know, is w- when I'm used to being in control, you know, I can see how that can cause a lot of insecurities. Right. And, you know, I also think a big takeaway was this is that men have not evolved from hunter gather society. And the more I think about that, the more true that is. Yeah, I mean, just this aggression and violence and this need to, you know, this tribalism thing of like protect your tribe and create these enemies and like puff yourself up to be bigger and stronger and we men sort of view those as evolved traits that now apply to situations like at work or you know in an office in front, in front of, of office, a computer screen on, you know on the road road rage right like like we really think that these are appropriate responses or traits and maybe it's just like we're stuck in like all oh, the good old days and like but we're like holding on to this i was like confederates hold on to like yeah you know the, the, the identity of the south right like we're holding on to this identity as as of male and and how aggression and violence are are evolved traits when in reality today like they're not at all like clear there are some situations in war and you know when you're defending yourself if there's a if there is a someone who's attacking you yeah absolutely strength and aggression and violence is needed but in 99 percent of the other situations in our lives as men like we don't need those traits yeah right exactly. um but we we almost are, are feeling this this in this grieving process of like that those aren't valued anymore.
0: Perfect intro to this episode because that's exactly what we are going to unpack, our favorite word on this <laughs> podcast. What we're gonna unpack in this episode. And I'm excited for this podcast Me too. Episode to unpack this. stuff, So let's shift more to what you're talking about of what it means to be a man, right? Well, at least what society has told us true masculinity entails. So to start this conversation out, it will be helpful for us to make a few definitions. So first, we're going to define the difference between sex, gender, and gender identity. And this is an important lead up to this discussion. So first, sex. So sex is a label male or female that is assigned at birth typically by a doctor and this label is based on medical factors including hormones chromosomes and genitals you know you will see this as referred to as assigned sex or biological sex so that's the medical part right that's sex so next is gender and gender is more complex you know there's nothing biological or medical about gender Gender is a socially constructed set of expectations about behaviors, characteristics, and thoughts that go along with a person's assigned sex. And there are roles that go along with those expectations, which are gender roles. So how we're expected to act, speak, dress, groom, and conduct ourselves based upon our assigned sex. So for example, girls and women are generally expected to dress in typically feminine ways. So think dresses, long hair, makeup, right? And to be polite, accommodating, and nurturing. Boys and men are generally expected to be strong, aggressive, and bold. Now each culture has their own standards about the way that people should act and look, which is a great example of how gender is socially constructed. So finally, we have gender identity. So gender identity is how you feel inside and how you express those feelings. So clothing, appearance, and behaviors can all be ways to express your gender identity. I found it interesting that feelings about your gender identity begin as early as age two or three. So most people feel that they're either male or female. Some people's assigned sex and gender identity are in line with each other. So these people are called cisgender. So I am a cisgender male, for example. You know, my assigned sex at birth, male, is aligned with my feelings and identity as a male, at least how gender is defined. And then on the other hand, some people feel like a masculine female or a feminine male, or feel neither male nor female. So those people may choose labels such as gender queer, gender variant, or gender fluid. And these individuals often use the pronouns they, them. So finally, other people feel that their assigned sex is of the other gender from their gender identity. So for example, your assigned sex is female, but your gender identity is male. So these people are called transgender or trans, and there are many different identities within that. So Paul, you and I have said throughout this podcast that this is for those who identify as white men, And we say, I identify as white men, or I identify as a cisgender male. So that is what that means. It means that our assigned sex as male is in line with our gender identity. So that was a lot of definitions. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I mean, I also just want to say for the record, I identify as a cisgender male. Um, But as we'll talk about a little bit, like, there are many things that I do and believe in that would be, society would say, is feminine. So. You know, that's why we talk about gender being a spectrum of being fluid and who knows where I was at five years. Maybe I was feeling more masculine five years ago than I am now. But I I think it's great to name that this isn't just a binary clean cut thing. Like gender is very fluid and uh, that, that people identify in many different ways.
0: You know, because we are we you and I both identify as white men. And this is what that a podcast is for for those who identify as white men. Let's unpack the male gender and the idea of masculinity and how that definition can be damaging. In last episode, Paul, we talked about we briefly introed toxic masculinity and how I always initially thought that toxic masculinity was men are terrible for everybody else, but really toxic masculinity, as we said, means it has negative impacts on everybody on the gender spectrum. So toxic masculinity, to give it a quick definition, is a narrow and repressive description of manhood, designating manhood as defined by violence, sex, status, and aggression. You know, it's a cultural ideal of what makes a real man. I feel like you and I have talked quite a bit about that to give that an intro of Just as you said in the intro to this episode, you know, those prehistoric, in many ways, definitions of what made a man successful, that translated to today's society. So you hear things like, be a man or man up, right? And it can cause a lot of internal strife to live up to those expectations, especially as a young boy, and especially if that's not the way you feel. So the best way of describing this toxic masculinity that I found is an article actually in Medical News Today. And I think that goes to show the prevalence of the topic of toxic masculinity being that this isn't a medical publication. We talked about how masculinity developed thousands of years ago, how the most desirable traits for early homo sapiens would have included aggression, ruthlessness, physical strength. Those behaviors continued for centuries. Well beyond hunter-gatherers and throughout history, you can see dominant male rulers have gained power by conquering others. However, because contemporary society has led to a shift in attitude towards these male behaviors, certain groups and subcultures still fall victim to these expected norms. So this is when masculinity becomes toxic. It is this need for certain men to be a certain way as dictated by an ideology that has long become obsolete. If a male believes that they are not meeting these exaggerated traits or not aligning with these narrow views, they may feel like they're falling short, you know, and then that's where this results in a need to lash out or exaggerate these traits Mm -hmm. to reestablish their quote unquote manhood, right? And it is this lashing out that can lead to really dangerous behavior, both to the individual and those around them. You know, aggression, sexual aggression or control, suppressing emotions, hyper competitiveness, a tendency towards or glorification of violence, entitlement, chauvinism and sexism. You know, these can all be a result of just over, you know, feeling like I have to act certain ways and it becomes so unnatural and then it becomes dangerous yeah and you know i feel like an important point to point out here is that masculinity itself it's not bad there are healthy traits when they are balanced and importantly are true to that individual person
1: yeah, again, the bottom line is is when it turns into better than or supremacy. Yeah, right. Right? Like you're absolutely right. Masculinity is in itself is not bad. As long as it is not deemed as superior, as long as it's not imposed on other people who don't want to subscribe to masculinity. When it when it just is, then it's fine. It's the same thing with like there's nothing inherently bad about being white. Yeah. Right. Right. But when you see white as superior, when you impose on other people like you need to act white, like that's when it becomes harmful.
0: Yes, absolutely. So masculinity is best when it's up to each individual to define their identity within masculinity. And if they stick to that definition, to your point, so long as it does not harm themselves or others, you know, like it's that whole nature versus nurture thing that we started to debate last episode that I think you could, we could debate right now again. Like, (laughs) I think that there are certain traits, you know, in a, a podcast I was listening to, they're like, Listen, I have a five-year-old son. I have a seven-year-old daughter. When my when my daughter was four, we had like gender-neutral stuff, and my daughter wanted to sit and play peacefully with a Barbie doll, for example, or something. They probably didn't have Barbie dolls because they were trying to be gender-neutral. But the son was like taking the toys and bashing it against the wall, right? (laughs) And so they're like, so they weren't convinced through seeing their kids that it's all nurture. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's a balance. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. You said last episode you weigh heavier on nurture than nature. I agree with that. I think that your environment, the culture, that informs people more than how they're naturally born. But there's something there. Like to feel like a man that's okay, but like define what that means for you. Mm-hmm. don't look to something that's unnatural. don't try to live up to these expectations or, or you know or, or being something that just isn't right. Mm-hmm. So if we do this, you know a new definition of what it means to be male it might include just overall human individual experiences and feelings. And that will result in more men being vulnerable, cooperative, kind, soft, you know, things that don't necessarily align with the traditional sense of what makes a real man.
1: Yeah. And, you know, things like being soft or essentially what it means to be soft to me is like letting things get to you, which is really about being in tune with your emotions and like, and like being able to say that hurt and I feel that hurt right? What's harmful about avoiding that process is that when we repress emotions, when we push them aside, when we push them down, that literally has harmful effects on our body. Like Mm -hmm. literally, like that is stress and also possibly trauma. You know, like men go through trauma, even as boys, maybe through abusive relationships or whatever. And to be a man, it means to not let that get to you or to avoid being soft. So you just push it aside, quote-unquote, or get over it, quote-unquote. That's one of my, my least favorite terms, mm. by the way, or phrases. Like, I, I hate that phrase, get over it, because it's not possible. It's not human to get over it. And if you, quote-unquote, get over it, you're not. First of all, you can't get over an emotion. But when you when you push it aside and not address it, it literally becomes toxic to your body. So, to- like, the word toxic is very apt because when we have emotions and stress that are stuck in our body, that means that we have stress, the stress response being continually going in our body, which means cortisol is being pumped in our body. And cortisol, as we know, has harmful effects on our body. It leads to heart disease. It leads to heart attacks. It leads to lowered immunity. It leads to chronic pain, all that. Right. So talk about like literal harm for toxic masculinity. Yeah. You know, like it. There, there's truth to that.
0: You know, my one of my least favorite sayings is I got this from Brené Brown, who you and I are both big fans of. Yeah, but it's at least the at least statements. Ooh. So you know, I, you know, I yeah. feel kind of bad about that. You know, even if you're vulnerable, not to say like I feel kind of bad about what you said here. Well, at least you. Got good laughs after you said that next joke. Like, you know, at least people saw that you were having fun. Like, whatever. But you try to minimize what people are feeling. You know, like if if anybody tries to open up and be vulnerable and then other people don't feel like they can be vulnerable. Like, let's say a bunch of us dudes are hanging out Mm -hmm. and one person has the audacity to, like, be vulnerable and share an emotion. And none of the other guys, because it's not manly would go down that path or, but, you know, you try to be just like, kind of move on like, Hey, at least, you know, this is going really well. For, at least you have a really mm-hmm. good job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you got your career going on it, but you you know, your girlfriend just dumped you last week, but at least yeah. you got a job. And yeah, that's, I just wanted to share. That's another one I just dislike mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I think there's a
1: lot of things we do. I mean, it's probably a human thing, but maybe men too to avoid going to a place of vulnerability and talking about emotion I think that's one you know strategy and and sometimes we say it ourselves yeah. like we get oh, done like yes. talking about like something horrible we went through been like oh well at least i got a riff over my head you know because we want to avoid anyone being like hey dude are you okay like do you want to talk more about this yeah. like
0: tell me more
1: let, like, let's talk let's go back to sports right you know and and so we we even do it ourselves like we've been conditioned to we clearly want to go there because we talk about it, but yeah. then we quickly like cover it up with like with something to like change the subject or like get the get the mood away from vulnerability. Yeah, and you it know? comes
0: from a good place, you know. You know, if you're not making a conscious decision to, in many cases, I think, minimize how somebody's feeling, but really, it's like oh i'm being helpful and then i'll lighten the mood you know and it, yeah. it's like not even a conscious decision it's yeah. just like i think i'm being helpful i'm gonna point out the bright spots yep brene brown says silver lining it you know she yes. uses it as a verb like let's silver line this position yes. and really it's just like if you don't know what to say just sit and listen right you know but that's not a manly thing to do like you're gonna crack a joke or you're gonna try to like yeah. bring it up or something you know
1: yeah I also see, I also notice people laugh sometimes when they talk about like really traumatic things, you know, like that's something, I don't know if you listen to Esther Perel's podcast, yeah. um, uh, where should we begin? For some reason, I just really love it. It's, it's like she records her counseling sessions with couples. It's marriage therapy. Oh yeah. And many, many times people are talking about abuse that happens in their child and they laugh about it. Wow. And there are many times when Esther, Esther you know, in a very gentle way, was like, this is not funny you know it happens all the time wow. yeah it's just like it's just like uh you know like you said kind of this unconscious like defense mechanism to say what we want to say to get it out there but then like we don't we want to stop it in its tracks yeah. and not allow anyone else to like follow up on that so we make it sound like oh i'm i'm over it because i'm laughing about it yeah. you know
0: and that's like comedians so many comedians battle with depression or battle with some types of insecurities or serious trauma that may have happened or terrible childhoods. And that's like bits and things that they do. And and there are activist comedians who can only bring up really tough, Mm. you know, realities through comedy, because it'll get Mm. people to laugh. Mm -hmm. But like, also, you can see that it's real. You know, have you personally ever felt pressure to act like a man when it went against how you felt or like overall themes that you've experienced in your life, where it's just like that's not your character?
1: I don't know if we have enough time to go through <laughs> all the examples of that. I mean, that's been my life. Yeah, you know, that is that has been my life up until this point. I've always felt like, for me personally, I've had a lot of like quote unquote. And I'm going to say that a lot, but quote unquote feminine qualities and traits. You know, all my best friends in high school were were girls. Mm. All of them. I had a few, like, guys I hung out with, but I never, ever felt comfortable around, quote-unquote, the guys. Oh, yeah. So I had... There were four girls who I... Those were my best friends, and I hung out with them all the time. And I felt very comfortable around them because... I never felt comfortable around this, like this guy culture that especially was in high school or this jock culture, which was, which is funny. Cause I was a jock. Yeah. Like I also played that part. I, I played, I played baseball and, you know, sort of like could pass as one of the guys because I was on a sports team. But like, if I wasn't like, I would never, ever been able to like fit in with the guys like based on my expression as like being more, f- more feminine, I think. So yeah.
0: You're, so you're living proof that you can be an athlete and also not have to feel like a super jock well, all the time deep down.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I I also portrayed v- like very masculine qualities and and like my level of competitiveness and my aggression and my fierceness. Like I was a fierce competitor to a major fault, where like I would get super fired up. But but when I'm not in the field you know, I, I would probably identify more like, more like the feminine side, like more, more soft, more in tune with my emotions, more self-reflective, more caring, things like that. I didn't, you know, I, I just sort of reserved my masculinity for the, the field, if you will. But, uh, but I think, you know, looking back back, I'm sure that the dominant image I portrayed was a jock slash masculine male, because I felt pressure to err on that side, right? Like I just connected with someone I went to college with recently. And she was like, we were talking about like, we didn't know each other too well in college, but somewhat. And she she mentioned, like, basically said, like, dude, you were a major jock in college, like you were sort of a sort of a douche you wow, know wow yeah and I was like you're you're totally right yeah you know I look back and I was like god I and I didn't know who I was right because I know I had that sort of insecurity of where do I fit I don't feel like I fit in anywhere right and to this day I feel a little bit more comfortable about where I fit but you know it's a different story when you're trying to fit in socially in in something like school but but yeah I think one 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 specific example I'll give and then I want to love to hear your examples too is I don't know how to cry <laughs>
0: You don't know how to cry?
1: I mean I the only time there's here's two times that I can think of when I cried, twice. In your life? In my life. Well, that's not true. Okay. I I there are three instances I can think of the last like twelve
0: years. Okay.
1: First incident happened when someone yelled at me. Like I won't go into the long story, but yeah. someone yelled at me and like made me feel terrible, so I cried.
0: In front of people or did you have in to In front go- of my boss. Okay.
1: Yeah, I wanted to cry in front of people, but then my boss was like took me aside. It was like yeah. Anyway, right. so I cried then. Then I cried during Titanic, cause who doesn't? <laughs> that <laughs> be... was not what I was expecting. <laughs> that caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you are not a hu- you are not human if you don't cry during Titanic. <laughs> and then I cried during another movie. I cried during Inside Out. I don't know if you know if you you've seen that movie. No. Oh my God. There's a part where the I I always forget the the name. It's like the it's like a the stuffed animal thing gets stuck in this abyss basically where he's gonna essentially die Mm -hmm. and i cried like a friggin' baby yeah when that happened so yeah i have cried but like there are also hundreds of times where it would have been appropriate and necessary for me to cry and i couldn't do it i couldn't even make myself do it
0: would you have liked to yeah 100%. so it's not so that's not like a, hey I want to cry here right now but I'm not a but that wouldn't be a man thing to do so I'm not going to it's like you you as your own person couldn't cry
1: I, I feel like the reason I can't cry is because I'm ascribing to manliness okay I think the reason why I hold back tears is because I have been conditioned over time to believe that crying is not manly that that's why i believe i didn't cry and i and because i haven't cried very much like i literally don't know how to do it you know that is a thing like there are people who go to therapy and like literally learn to cry yeah they right. literally go through a process where you yeah. you know you're taught how to cry because you need to yeah right and i feel like that's what i need
0: yeah yeah when i think about have i ever felt pressure to act like a man when it was against how i just was as a person it's an immediate yes. I was always an emotional mm-hmm. kid. I'm an emotional guy. I always have been. I don't have that issue. Where I, I'm like the guy that cried four times at my wedding kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. like during my That's vows, great. I like cried through them. Yeah. Talking about my grandma who died recently before the wedding, cried mm-hmm. during that. Mm-hmm. Gave the eulogy at my grandfather's funeral about a year ago, cried during that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an emotional guy and I was an emotional kid. Mm-hmm. And I for sure felt pressure to not show that emotion. And I always was like the nice, emotional, but like super athletic kid. But I never felt like, you know, guys talk trash in sports and guys, I never would do that. Like Mm. I could never talk trash to somebody, but I'm hyper competitive. Mm. Like you said, like you did my strength, you're my strength finders Mm -hmm. coach Mm -hmm. in my top five competitiveness. Like I am a competitive dude. Like I play a board game and like, you know, externally I like look like I'm having fun. Internally, if I don't win, I'm gonna be like very <laughs> upset. So that is yeah. but I, I remember being on the bus and I was teased. Like I was teased as a kid because I was so emotional I could never like come back. And then the other thing I think of is that I think of this like locker room talk, guy jokes. Never once have I felt comfortable with that stuff mm-hmm. ever. And I have done it. Mm-hmm. And I look back And I made jokes that were totally out of character, Mm -hmm. but I did it because I wanted the guys, you know, I was just trying to get laughs out of guys and play this role and grow up seeing what guys should be like. And that was never who I was. Mm -hmm. But when you're growing up, it's just, that's not the way you think. It's really hard.
1: Yeah. I think there is some, you know, back to the nature nurture thing. I think there's got to be at least what it feels for me it's nature of this like need to be aggressive or sort of like one-up someone else you know i think that showed up all the time in sports for me and you know i would get super fired up and i'm you know like very and it'd just be like immediate reaction you know like that's what makes me think it's nature for me but also yeah. you can argue that like Condition over time to react that way is nurture too but i've always felt there's this like impulse in me It's always something i've struggled to control especially in sports like <laughs> i had to i had to step away from intramural basketball in college because i <laughs> would like yell at the refs too much okay you're that guy yeah i am that guy <laughs> okay i 100 and i'd yell at umps in baseball like it's terrible It's terrible. It always was just just this like immediate reaction for me. It's always something really, really, really hard to control. Yeah. But like it's it's almost like this pent up aggression or, you know, in reality, it's like I'm taking this out on someone else. I mean, that's really what it is. Like taking out my own anger and frustration on someone else. But the way that I would express that was a very like quote unquote manly way, like yelling and almost like starting a fight. Right. 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 Which is like. Extremely maladaptive to today's standards, right? Like, not gonna help at all. And always, always 100% of the time made things worse. Always, you know, but yet never. I kept doing it, right? It's the same with
0: violence violence never, yeah, like in today's world, violence never, yeah. Helps. Like I have never been punched. I've never thrown a punch. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten close to Mm -hmm. being punched or throwing a punch. Yeah. It's always this nurture versus nature thing. Mm -hmm. And like for me, it's in my nature, I think, to just like not be a violent person. Hmm. But at the same time, like I'm very, what one would consider like manly on other things, Mm -hmm. like chivalry, for example, Hmm. like, like I think that that's who I am. Like I want to be very respectful, like play the traditional man role, be very respectful, Hmm. be very chivalrous, right? Like that kind of thing is something that I've always like taken to heart and thought was Hmm. important. So that's Mm -hmm. like one component of masculinity that I have really taken in my own identity, I Hmm. guess. Hmm.
1: Are you into things like having a weapon and hunting and like cigars and whiskey and all that stuff?
0: Yeah, like yes and no. So my wife, and so talk about, I think not traditionally gender roles. You'd think of my wife and me where my wife is the hunter. So my Mm. wife is a hunter Mm. with my father-in-law, her dad. And I, I was, my entire family has never been hunting. So I got like, I married into the hunting family Mm. and hunting traditions and it, it was like the best thing i ever could have married into deer hunting you know that's what they're into deer hunting is, yeah. is it's an awesome thing it is great culture you know they do it in the right way what i think is right and sustainable way mm. It's a family tradition for generations. Like, you know, here's how well, how I built up my ma- masculinity is my wife will sit in the deer stand with a rifle and I'll sit next to her bundled up like reading a book. Yes, <laughs> right? yes so I love it. She's the one who will tap me if something's coming by to like take a look. Yeah. So um, so I also play hockey. Mm-hmm. Played hockey my whole life. Love hockey. It's my favorite hobby. It's my favorite pastime. I love reading about it. I love playing it. I play it to this day. I'm on a team. There's like weird masculinity stuff with hockey specifically. I can tell you as a guy that's been in hockey locker rooms now for 25 years, Mm -hmm. you like try to be as manly as possible in a hockey locker room. I swear to God, it's like the weirdest thing. I never once felt comfortable... Trying to be one of those guys, and mm. I've tried, and like mm-hmm. it always felt weird. And I made jokes that I look back on, like that's not who you were. But the reason I bring up hockey is I'm currently on a hockey team, and they talk about guns a lot because there are like a few guys, and it's like the whitest thing you can do. Let's be real, hockey. And so, like, like it's needless to say, this is all white guys on my team currently. Mm-hmm. They're they sit around to talk about going to the gun range and like all these different types of guns. Like a few of the guys, and that just does not compute with mm-hmm. me. Like there is nothing a part of my identity or being a quote-unquote man for what it means for me, or shooting a gun would give me any kind of thrill.
1: Yeah, and I've watched you play hockey, and I can see the chivalry (laughs) on the ice. Like, seriously, I mean, you, you stand out in the sense of, like, you're going to the opposing team and, like, chatting up with them, and, you know, like, even... Even while you're playing, like, you might get, like, checked by someone. I know you can't in, in – in, in I've seen you play in um, the pond hockey. Yeah. You can't check. But, like, if someone made a nice move on you, it'd be like, oh, nice move, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, true. a lot of people, including myself, would be like, you dick. You know, like, something <laughs> like that. Or, like, like, like kind of, like, give them a whack on their shins or something like that, yeah. you know? So – yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, being someone who's competitive, like that even doesn't even fit to me. Like competitive yeah. to me in sort of like the way I think I've been socialized in a man, in a masculine way is you see the other team as the enemy and you like mm. dehumanize them and you yell at them and you see them as jerks and terrible people, you know, and that that's what I've been socialized in. And that's kind of how I acted and, you know, I would yell at the other team and stuff like that, so... So in a way, I'd I'd ascribe to that. And that, you know, going back to, like, tribes and war, like, that's what you do. Like, we talked about that. Like, you have to do that in order to justify that you're going to kill someone, right? Like, so parts of that, like, I have ascribed to today. I'm clear I'm not killing anyone, but, like... Maybe I've gotten close when I try to bean someone with a pitch because, yeah. yeah, yeah. you know, they showed me up before. But, like, but, yeah, like that is not, you know, what what I have so been socialized into is not the masculine way. And so, like, you showing respect and, you know, chivalry on the ice is also, you know, masculine. Right? Yeah. Or, right, or right. maybe it's it just is. Maybe it's just a great way to be human and we don't need to put it in
0: boxes. But yeah. I'm interested with the violence aspect. I think Mm. with men and like how that growing up it could be simple as simple as like feeling like you need to wrestle the kid next door, or as you grow up in high school maybe you punch a guy in the arm or something like. And then you talk about like the thrill of gun ownership for some guys and stuff. And like, what's kind of your experiences with violence in general?
1: Yeah, I've never had an affinity towards violence, which which well I that that's untrue to say because I have been violent sort of emotionally or verbally. Mm -hmm. I think it's a physical violence that I've never really had an affinity towards. I had no desire to get into wrestling or get into fights or things like that. You know, for a long time, I was very much like a pacifist and, you know, anti-war and it's pretty much the same today. But I saw violence and even like watching things like what's all the like the the fighting you know there's there's wrestling wrestling but there's oh, the, also the like um, cage the... cage fighting yeah, like yeah uh, ufc ufc yeah like it's just there are men who get just a thrill out yes. of that and like you know again we're not talking about good or bad here it just is like no desire like i see that and in... i i can see why people enjoy that but i i I look at it and be like, yeah, that is brutal. And I've never been into guns, period. I've always had a very uncomfortable feeling around them. But, I, you know, I know people who, who love guns and have lots of them and shoot all the time and hunt and great. Yeah. You know, um, but that's, that's not me. And I, I, I definitely feel the pressure in the sense of, like, feeling less than a man if I don't own a gun right there's definitely that but i over time i've got more comfortable with not owning a gun and but yeah for many many years you know i'd have friends be like hey we're gonna go shooting you want to go with i'd be like no yeah no thanks right. i mean and you know there'd be consequences for that maybe who knows what they're saying about me or whatever but at this point i'm you know i'm growing more comfortable with my identity that doesn't really
0: bother me Neither of us subscribe to the full, you know, masculine kind of stereotypes or Mm -hmm. what it means to be a man. We both kind of have unique ways where that is true, but also where Mm -hmm. that's not true. And I think that's what I hope our listeners can do too, is maybe think like we just had or talk to another guy and be like, hey, have you ever felt pressure either Mm -hmm. growing up or now? Because if we redefine what it means to be a man to, you know, act true to yourself. Mm-hmm. If we instilled that earlier and men didn't prescribe to these or try to be or feel the pressure to be, the world would be a better place. Like that's how, yeah. that is how monumental of a claim I think that is. Like yeah. if, if society could get to a place where every man and women and transgender and everyone on the gender spectrum could just mm-hmm. see gender as to who they are. And to act upon that and not lash out to try to, because of insecurities, the world would be a better place. Yeah. You know, if I ever, I have a daughter, you have a daughter on the way. Mm -hmm. And if I ever have a son, someday I'll be excited for that reason, I think, because I want to like instill you be who you are, however Mm -hmm. that is, you know, you don't have to be a man in any specific way. Right.
1: Right. And like, and I know we've, I think we've said this, but like, we're not saying masculinity is a bad thing. It's, it's. It's only when it becomes harmful that it becomes a bad thing and toxic, yeah. right? That's, I think, what we've talked about and defined as viewing that that very narrow definition of masculinity as being the way of being a man, right? And if you don't express yourself that way, then you're not a man. So that's harmful, obviously, for self-identity, for self-esteem in many different ways. And then, yeah, I think the other harmful, toxic thing is, is that... Subscribing as a man to uh, repress or avoid feeling emotion yeah, which is, right. is to be in touch with our emotions, to talk about our emotions, to be vulnerable. And as I mentioned earlier, that that literally does have like psychological and physiological effects in a negative way. Right. But I think we, you know, we, we, would be remiss to, to not talk about, you know, things like misogyny and just this idea of, of looking at women as an inferior too. Like that's again where our toxic masculinity is harmful, clearly. Mm-hmm. Right. Is to look at quote unquote feminine traits and say they are less than, they are less valued, they are weaker, um, too emotional. Too emotional. I think that's
0: one of like the worst things that yeah. men say about women. Yep. It's like, you're not emotional enough yeah fella
1: and, and i think you know with with a lot of the data recently on like things like emotional intelligence um, and even like you know cultural intelligence like there is now some at least research backing up that like these are not only important traits but essential traits for leaders and leadership yeah in no the kidding. business world at least there's some some evidence based research to support this idea that some of these traits that we consider feminine are actually very critical for leading successful organizations. Yeah. And as far as the the role of a leader, which is not a title by the way, you're not a leader just because you have the title. You're a leader based on your actions. Right. And I think that's something that many leaders forget, yeah, right? That right. you you don't earn this earn the title just because you have the title. You earn it based on your actions and, and the, the, the results of those actions. So yeah.
0: Man, I feel like we are getting somewhere with our identity process as a white man, you know. And we have now gone through six episodes dissecting the history of race, the history of gender, uh, the history of our country, of our society, how we've gotten here, and now we're talking about, you know, traits of masculinity. And I, I don't know. I feel like energized right now because we're soon gonna you know unpack even more like hey can we even feel good about being a white man yeah with all like the negative things that happen the answer is yes right but why and how you know it's on the surface of all we you know it almost seems like we're setting it up to be like and all white men are terrible Mm -hmm. including you and me but that's not the case Mm -hmm. we can feel good about being a white man all of this truth setting that we've done is part of that and 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 that's how you get to a a positive identity is who we really are as white men but you have to understand everything and then you can be confident about who we are and i I feel good right now i feel like we're we've set the stage in a way we're talking more about the role we can
1: play yeah i agree i think the outcome not only for for the listeners but you and i like yeah we're going through this real time right? right right just to be able to proudly say like I'm a white man like now of course please don't shout that from the rooftops because at a time like this (laughs) you don't want to shout from the rooftops I am proud to be a white (laughs) man okay let me just
0: yeah and if you want to go to a rooftop and shout something someday like we'll get there but we need to discuss what to shout i think yep. that's a good way to frame it up it's like yeah. it's like what can we as white men shout from the rooftop and maybe it's not like white men are the greatest right mm-hmm. or something like that that's not right but we can we can shout something what is well, it
1: well we can be proud of who we are yeah. like we don't, don't have to say the labels but yeah i think you know from how much we have unpacked for saying like the 500 time <laughs> but we've unpacked a lot and like 99 percent of what we've unpacked is like really negative things about the labels we have, which is white and male. That is a lot to make people feel, you and I and everyone, every other white man to feel ashamed of who we are and almost like hopeless right which is not our intention at all like our intention is to, to what you value is unpacking history in order to understand where we've come from who we are why we are think importantly why we can't shout i am proud to be a white man on yeah. rooftops yeah, right like right there is a reason why we shouldn't do that no. but there is all the reasons in the world to internally you know and in other spaces with other white men to be like i am proud of who i am and I don't need to let people who have come before me define who I am. And I have the agency to be a part of this, of, of redefining what a white man is. So maybe in a hundred years we can, how great it would be in like a hundred years yeah. we can go to rooftop and say I'm proud to be a white man. And like mm-hmm. no one bats an eye and be like, yeah, right. White right. men are great. Right. Awesome. Yeah. But clearly we have created a negative perception and we've earned that right up until this point and we need to be able to reckon with that. We need to be able to take responsibility for that and then we need to have these conversations to be like, alright well, how, how do we
0: fix this? Well said. I think yeah. you ended it perfectly. Cool. Now we're getting into your territory, futuristic moving <laughs> forward, looking ahead.
1: Yes. Um, I'm sure we'll go back in time too, from time to time. Yes, we will. And we should.
0: And I will probably always find a way to talk about history somehow as you should thank you for listening to the modern white man please follow us on twitter at the modern white man for updates on new episodes and please feel free to shoot us a note with questions or thoughts for future episodes as always if you're enjoying this podcast please rate subscribe and share both individually and on social media that's how we get the most traction After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.